0: Welcome to Forward, the podcast for people who love children's literature. I'm your host, Kelsey Buckley. On this season of Forward, we'll be talking about reading outside the box, expanding our ideas about how, what, where, and who we read, and encouraging our listeners to explore the wide and wonderful world of children's literature. Today our guest is Hazel Stark. Hazel is co-founder and naturalist educator at Maine Outdoor School where she connects her community and classrooms to the outdoors through custom educational experiences. Hazel is a registered Maine guide and holds a bachelor's degree in human ecology from College of the Atlantic and a professional science master's degree in resource management and conservation from Antioch University New England. You can find her at Mainoutdoorschool.org and on WERU on Saturday mornings at 9.30 a.m., where she hosts the Nature of Phenology program and shares what's happening in nature each week, all year long. Welcome, Hazel, to the Forward podcast. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So on this season of Forward, we're asking all of our guests the same opening questions. Um, At Island Readers and Writers, we really believe that picture books are for everyone and not just for children. So for each of our guests this season, we are asking, what's one great picture book that we should read?
1: Okay, this was a tough one, Kelsey, because I went to my main outdoor school bookshelf and was just pulling off like all my picture books and then realized I had to put several back. It was really hard to pick one. Um, But I think the one that I would pick specifically for this season, since it's winter as we record this, is Over and Under the Snow by Kate Messner with art by Christopher Silas Neal. And I love it because it is the story of a father and daughter out for a cross-country ski on a deep bed of snow. And it explores the importance of the subnivian zone, which is also called the spot underneath a blanket of snow, where lots of little critters rely on being able to still forage and be active, but also have the camouflage and protection that a big insulating blanket of snow can provide. So it's both a very fun exploration with beautiful art. And it also teaches you some of the science of winter ecology for really almost any age. So I love that one.
0: That's a great recommendation. Um, I'm familiar with that one, and the illustration is really beautiful um, and really fun book to explore. So can you tell us a little bit about your origin story as an outdoor educator? Sure. Yeah.
1: So Uh, I grew up in Maine and spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid. I picked a tent in my backwoods instead of my bedroom for basically six months out of the year, uh, April to October, from the age of nine until I left for college at 18. So spending time outside has always been really important to me and where I've been happiest. But interestingly, I never enjoyed science in school. And it wasn't until I went to College of the Atlantic for my undergraduate degree that I started doing science outdoors and hands on and really focused on outdoor learning through identifying the different living things that I had grown up with. And that connection to those living species and who they were helped make me feel more connected and part of our ecosystem. And it also helped me identify my own passions for connecting others with the wonders right in their own backyards. So fast forward, I had started working after college at a variety of outdoor schools and guiding um, different people wanting to hike and learn about nature. And recognized that if I wanted to continue doing that kind of work in rural Maine, I really just needed to start my own business. And so Joe Horn and I co-founded Maine Outdoor School with this goal to get other rural Maine students like I was connected to their own ecosystems through outdoor learning, primarily offered right at their public schools. So that's a little bit about the origin story of my outdoor education focus.
0: That's great. Um, I love the story about your childhood bedroom being a 10 in the backyard. So did you just sleep out there or did you spend time in it like your bedroom? Uh,
1: yeah, I spent time in it like my bedroom. Like I still had my bedroom inside, but that's like where I kept my clothes. So I would like change in my bedroom indoors uh, but yeah, I would, you know, go to bed a little early so I could read my book with my dog in my tent and sleep in there and hang out. And then, you know, in the summer I'd go in, in the middle of the day, cause also I grew up in an area with really terrible black flies. So to spend time outside sitting still in a lot of the spring and summer was impossible. You needed to have a tent or a screen house or something. So you wouldn't get eaten alive. So that was a really great safe space where I could be outside, but not get consumed by black flies.
0: I love that. And we're talking about reading outdoors uh, on this episode. So I feel that you might be the expert with a long history (laughs) of reading outside. Um, I think that's perfect for this season uh, because we are focusing on reading outside of the box. Um, And by that, I mean that we are really imploring our readers to think about who, what, and then for the purpose of this episode, where they're reading and maybe to ask them to push some of those boundaries, exploring more of the wide and wonderful world of children's literature. So... Could you tell us a little bit about what you see as the benefits of reading and learning together outdoors, um, either on a one-on-one basis, um, like a caregiver and teacher and child, or as a group in a program like Summits and Stories?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to start with just dropping some quick facts about why it's so important to spend time outside, because I think that sort of sets the baseline about whatever you do out there it's great to just get out there. And so there's been some really great research that's come out in recent years, showing that just 20 minutes of time outdoors in a green space, both lowers blood pressure and heart rate. And you don't even have to exercise to get those benefits. You can just be outdoors in this green space and your body's actual physiological systems shift because of being in that space. And it also decreases your levels of cortisol, that stress hormone, and improves your self-esteem and mood. So simply just being there is great for us. And especially in times like the pandemic and just the other challenges that are going on in our lives.
0: So one of the programs that you do that we were familiar with is your Summits and Stories program, the partnership with the Millbridge Public Library. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that program?
1: Yeah, sure. So One of our big goals at Maine Outdoor School is to help fill in gaps and really offer our expertise in outdoor learning and guiding and learning about nature to the variety of people and organizations that exist here. And so one of the things that happened in the beginning of the pandemic is that, of course, libraries were closed and the Millbridge Public Library wasn't able to offer any programs like they typically offer because they would have to happen indoors when the library was closed. So we sort of got together and put our heads together thinking, like, what could we do that would be a library program, but that could happen outdoors? So that's where Summits and Stories was born, where I, as a registered Maine guide who loved to take people out on hikes and teach them about nature, could take families to a local mountain summit or hill summit. We didn't go on, you know, epic long hikes, but um, so that they would be very family friendly. And then when we got to the top, I would read them a story that was connected to that place or the season and that was available at the Millbridge Public Library. And they were widely successful because finally it was an opportunity for families to get outside with some structure, some kind of activity, also spend time with other families in the outdoor setting that was safer because they could be distance well and enjoy a story and know that they could still check out books from the library Um, and here were some cool ones that they they could do later. And so that was really, really effective and very fun and attracted a wide variety of people. I even had just adult couples who came and wanted to hear a children's story because everyone, everyone likes hearing a good story and going for a hike. So I would love to do more programs like that, uh, moving forward even with other libraries, because I think it's a really great way of connecting people to their local community resources and getting them outside and moving at the same time.
0: That sounds like such an incredible program. And we agree that it could be an outing for anyone to go and enjoy books outdoors. And what a uh, holistic view of, you know, place-based program, incorporating reading and time together, learning within the classroom. And what are some of the opportunities there?
1: Yeah, so there are some, of course, major differences of having a classroom where there are little, literally four walls and, um, you know, all of the structure and tables and chairs that exist. But in an outdoor setting, there's more room for creative problem solving, creative and critical thinking and exploring because the outdoor setting is never the same two days in a row. And so there's always something new to learn from and every single student can find something of interest. I think, of course, the challenges there is the weather is different and can be extreme. In Maine, I do this work year round. And so we've had conditions this year with wind chills bringing us down into the single digits. And then in the summer, I've had temperatures in the 90s with sunshine and no shade in sight. And we also have biting bugs at some times of the year. And so I think having to deal with those situations and learning how to prepare for those varying conditions is such an important lesson that is both a way to help build empathy for the other living things that don't have the option to simply snuggle up indoors with a video game, but it also builds our own confidence and practice in our own resilience and our respect for our nature neighbors at the same time. So I think the biggest opportunity when it comes to outdoor learning is that the outdoors is inherently interdisciplinary. So students who love researching or reading they often gravitate to a field guide to help them identify what they see. Students who like building things gravitate to building a model of a habitat for a particular species. And those art lovers find as many colors as they can in nature. And so if we can rotate through those kinds of experiences in the outdoor learning setting, it means that all students can connect with something that really inspires them. And the level of um, diversity that we can engage with in the outdoor setting is impossible to replicate in an indoor setting when you have a finite amount of materials available to you to work with.
0: Absolutely. I love the sentiment that the outdoors are interdisciplinary. What a great way to think about it. What are some of the things that we can pay attention to when we're outdoors or when we're learning outdoors?
1: Sure. So whether you're a teacher taking your classroom outdoors or just a person, whether you have kids or not, and you're spending some time outdoors, I think the the best thing, in my opinion, to start connecting to are the seasonal patterns that are going on in your backyard. So whether you live in a city and you wouldn't say that you have a ton of nature around, you still have the outdoors around you. So pigeons are nature. Rats are nature. Like bugs and ants, that's all nature. And they all have patterns. And so when you're paying attention to, like in my area this week, I started hearing the first morning doves of the season start singing. And if you can pay attention to when that first dandelion blooms or when you first smell a skunk in the spring for the first time, those patterns, if we're recording them and actually intentionally paying attention to them and trying to notice trends, both help us Uh, really build the sense of connection to a bigger world and our part in it. And just this understanding that life goes on uh, regardless of like what's going on in our own personal lives. And so you can also do that year round. I know people think of phenology. So that's that study of tracking those seasonal patterns. They think of that as a spring thing, like paying attention to those first things that happen in the spring, but seasonal patterns are, you can find evidence of them year round. So owls are singing more in the winter. We can find the tracks of things in snow that are active and dealing with winter really well. And in addition to making us feel good and provide an amazing amount of data and a baseline for future indoor lessons, if you're a teacher, it also is important data for scientists in understanding how the, cl- the changing climate can influence these seasonal patterns um, in the natural world and whether there's something that we should do about it. So um, it's important work to pay attention to those patterns. It's also really rewarding work um, for our mental health and also for meeting those learning standards that teachers have to meet in the classroom because there's so much that students can connect
0: to. What that made me think of was uh, Mary Oliver's quotation, to pay attention, this is our endless and proper work.
1: Mm -hmm. I I love
0: that. (laughs) I couldn't remember the way it started, but, um, that's a poet who I love as do I think many people who love nature. Um, So I think the most
1: important thing when connecting to the outdoors and thinking about integrating the outdoors into your life more is that, especially if you're trying to introduce children to that space is that you don't have to know about science or be an outdoorsy person, whatever that means to take, your children or your class or your friends outdoors to have a really beneficial experience. And I think that books honestly are one of the best ways and introductions, almost a gateway to being able to have a really meaningful outdoor experience. So whether that's a novel that you're just reading under the shade of a tree or a field guide that you can really geek out about identifying the different plants and birds that you're seeing, or um, you have that, maybe it's that science textbook that you've got to have kids read for the test, but you might want to just do that in an outdoor setting instead. Because what we do know is that even children who've been diagnosed with ADHD have been found to concentrate better after just 20 minutes outside. And there doesn't have to be structure there. It's just that space that makes our bodies as humans connect and feel better. And so the more that we can do that, the better it is. And books are a really easy way to start by bringing that book outside and connecting
0: to your backyards. What a great take-home message for our listeners. So we have a wrap up question if you've listened to other episodes this season, and then you will know that this question was borrowed from Professor Jeffrey Thompson at UMaine Farmington, where he runs a reading series. Uh, That's my alma mater. And I heard him ask many creators, authors, illustrators this question. Um, And now as an educator and someone who loves reading outdoors, you can apply this question any way you want. What's a great piece of advice you've been given? And what's the worst piece of advice you've been given?
1: I love this question and I was really happy that you sent me these questions in advance because I had the hardest time coming up with the answer for both of these. But ultimately, I think it really came down to um, the different advice that I was given around starting a business. So I think I'll start with the worst advice. So the, the, I think the worst advice I got when Joe and I were, were making plans to start Main Outdoor School as a business was a lot of people were saying, you know, you can only run your business if you're willing to work all the time and sacrifice your personal life. And I was just like, I did not, I did not want to believe that because I think we can all set certain boundaries around our own personal needs. And it also implies that business people who start businesses are a certain type of like extreme work around the clock type of people. And I think there are people who are successful and enjoy that, but I don't think everyone needs to be to actually start a business that can make a difference. So I think in sort of the the other side of that, the best advice I got was just the people who were just encouraging us to pick one focused goal that's important to you. And then to throw yourself at it, but within the context of what's sustainable for you. So that's how we were able to start Maine Outdoor School, by having our eyes on that particular goal. And it's also why I only read one book at a time, because I just want to be able to dive into that one book, enjoy it, and then move on to my next one without feeling scattered and overwhelmed by having too many goals or too many things going on.
0: What a great answer. Well, Hazel, thank you for being with us today on the Forward podcast. I think we're all inspired to pack up some books and head outdoors and reap all the incredible benefits that that offers. Thank you so much for having me,
1: Kelsey. I hope everyone gets outside and enjoys it.
0: forward is a podcast of island readers and writers island readers and writers is a nonprofit in southwest harbor maine with the mission to inspire a love of reading and learning and children living on maine's coastal islands and in rural communities in washington county the forward podcast was created in 2020 by taylor mace and is written produced and hosted by kelsey buckley you can find forward on your favorite podcatcher or online at islandreadersandwriters.org podcasts see you soon